Is it midnight for you? It is in our house today on Turntables and Tea. I'm Charlie. And I'm Corey. And this week, our first of our 2022 picks for the end of the year, we will be discussing Taylor Swift's Midnights, which was my pick for the end of the year, because with Taylor Swift, there's always a lot to discuss. And I knew this was an album that would be a fruitful discussion. And uh, whether good or bad, she's always interesting in her both best and worst moments. So that's why you can't go wrong with a Taylor Swift discussion. And that's why I picked this. It's a good pick. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, this one, it's pretty weird to think of going into the history of this because it's so new. This album's only been out two months. But for those who don't know, if you haven't seen it, you've probably heard something about it because this is a huge deal for a lot of people. But from my perspective, I will say this. So I'm sure many of you know Taylor Swift has been re-recording her previous albums from her days at her prior record label because of a dispute over ownership. She's redoing it. Which I didn't know. And I found out in research and I think is phenomenal and and groundbreaking but oh wow yeah she's definitely the biggest artist to have ever done something like this it's very impressive uh, and uh, in 2021 we got two re-recordings fearless and red uh, and naturally i think most people were assuming well there's gonna be another one in a few more months and uh, everybody just kind of kept waiting like people would say i think 1989 is coming soon speak now is coming soon there's all this speculation but that's what her fans do they speculate but she had us all fooled this whole time because she was pretty silent for the most part but then at the vmas this year she wins her award for her all too well short film music video and announces that she is releasing a new album of new songs and to meet her at midnight for more. And it's announced that she's releasing an album called Midnights, which she quickly explained as a concept album about sleepless nights that she's gone through. And she intentionally included 13 songs on the album because 13 is her favorite number. And she really changed what she had done before because she was somebody very much known for doing a big album rollout. But in 2020, she changed that by dropping two surprise albums, Folklore and Evermore, with completely different sounds than we'd ever heard from her before. And uh, talk about two beautiful albums right there. And the most well-received of her career, critically, by a mile. But with this, she decided, nope, she was going to go back to the old way and really roll it out and let us in. She did a series online called Midnight's Mayhem with Me, where she would reveal the track listing and song titles and discuss the songs a bit. So she was really letting us in beforehand. That was the TikTok stuff, right? She was yes. on TikTok doing that? Yes, that's what they, she was doing. Because they originally crashed her website on the announcement of this, correct? Like oh, they, yeah. put, they put the clock face up going to midnight and then boom, that website was down within the day from what I read. Yeah, I actually did get on it because I was excited. And I remember I was sitting at Fullerton Pub, a local bar around here <laughs> on the Taylor Swift website, pre-ordering the album. And I don't do that for many people, but because it's Taylor Swift, I thought I'm going to end up buying it. Just do it. So I got a vinyl and the CD, but she just kind of slowly kept anticipating and pushing it but she didn't release a full lead single the whole album did come at once but this anticipation worked 
So the album debuted in its total units in the U.S. with 1.5 million units in its first week, which was a huge title and her biggest all combined her highest total ever, not in pure sales, but in pure sales, it did sell over a million units in a week. And it is her fifth album to do that in its opening week. So it's mind blowing. How many or were there um, singles for this album? Yes, there. The lead single was released with the album. Okay, okay. And then they just did them from there? uh, Well, there is a official second single, but she also made a video for a song that's not a single. Gotcha. So she's kind of really smartly acclimating the traditional album rollout with our modern day TikTok streaming services and doing it very effectively, as we've seen, because this album's been very successful so far and broke every record ever. First ever artist to land the entire Billboard Top 10. All songs from this album, with the lead single being number one. And uh, yeah, she just keeps breaking records, basically. That's what she's doing. But the question is, uh, what's all the hype about? Well, the album's gotten very good reviews, too, because a lot of people are loving this whole concept album. And uh, it's one of those things where some fans feel it immediately, some don't, some may never will. But Taylor's an artist where some stuff you may not get at first will grow on you. I know I've had that with some of her music, certainly, specifically the Red album. I didn't get the big deal for a long time, but then I finally got it and it sunk in. And uh, yeah, this album's kind of gotten a wide range of reactions all around and we're seeing it all in real time, which is really cool. And I'm very happy to be kind of discussing an album as its era is still happening. I think it's really fun to do. It is. This is the first album that I read about before I went at it. And when you were speaking about how different fans may take to it may never take to it i'm super happy that i read about this album and understood it as a concept album before i went to it more so for myself because she's an artist and i'll speak on my own here she's an artist for me where i automatically connect certain sounds with her I, I do the same with Michael Jackson or different artists throughout time but for her there's certain sounds inside my head and there's certain expectations as a songwriter that I expect from her as well. I should, you know what? I won't even say expectations, but there's certain things that she does so beautifully as a songwriter. And she always has that I look for. So I'm happy that I knew this was a concept album because it gave me a front row seat for it instead of trying to find the album uh, throughout it. But man, oh man, it, it is definitely a work of art. Yeah, definitely. And uh, admittedly, a tough thing to follow because she's been so prolific just these past couple of years. And uh, a lot of that work recently has been so widely acclaimed. There aren't many people that dislike it at all, it seems. And so this is another change for her. And it's really her first pop album in a while. I forgot to mention earlier, but I want to now. People saw this was labeled pop and it's Okay, she hadn't done that since 2019, put out a pop album, because Folklore and Evermore are labeled as alternative albums because of her work with Aaron Dessner. And so it's 
well, what's this going to be now? Especially with the evolution that we saw with those previous two albums, what's it going to be? And some people didn't feel it was as much of an evolution as they thought. Some people even thought maybe somebody else wrote Folklore and Evermore because this isn't as strong lyrically. And uh, pretty bold claims. Uh, that that this wasn't as strong lyrically as Evermore was? Yeah, there's people who do feel that. And uh, I mean, you have to get what she's going for, I think. And uh, well, we'll get into it with the track by track because there's some stuff that I think's really misunderstood. And I, no one fully knows how her mind works. I mean, I don't fully, of course, but we got to kind of, I think, dive into what she's going for here. And uh, she's not determined to repeat herself. And I think that's the sign of a true artist who has staying power, which she's more than shown she hasn't. She's still going strong at this point. She's been around for over 15 years. It's been over 15 years since her debut album was released. I think it's great that you touched on this album being billed as a pop album, because when I was reading early on this album, this is the first time I think I've seen so many different versions of pop put on an album or people trying to put labels of it. Uh, you know, you see bedroom pop, you see uh, emo pop, you see there's there's at least 10 different variations that I've seen people label this album as. It has a very lo-fi hip hop feeling to me in places too. As an avid Taylor Swift fan, what did you think about its pop elements at first listen? Did you think it, it was an evolution? It's hard to say. Um, I will say I was kind of expecting a bit more of the kind of dream pop, bedroom pop sound was really what I was expecting, especially after where she went with Folklore and Evermore. And certain songs did fit that vibe, but others uh, did not. I actually felt some songs sonically were a bit closer to uh, Lover and Reputation. Which makes sense because her main collaborator here, Jack Antonoff, worked a lot on those albums too. Because she produced the whole album with him and he's been working with her pretty consistently since 2014 at this point. And they're very good friends. And they put out some great stuff together, but this is the first full album of just them together. And really, this is the first time where she's had... Pretty strictly one producer in over a decade. She's really had multiples on her albums. But so I think that's kind of an interesting thing, I guess, because that does make it a bit different. It does give it a cohesiveness, but I don't know. It's hard to say. I guess no, we'll I, just I, get I, into it. It was, it was a tough question. I, and also, we said it before, but she literally is now going back and recording her early works. So as an artist, I can only imagine how many layers that brings to the thought process of what she's doing now. You know, there's tiny peaks into that. I feel like that we see here early Taylor. She always, again, I'll go back to this a bunch, but she always stays in the same place in my brain as far as when she's really ripping her, her lyrics out. I'll go into it more later, but it, it's just wild to see how much of her is on this album is, is what I'm getting at. Oh yeah, we're getting her flaws and all here. Yeah. That is uh, for sure. And uh, well, with that being said, I'm just ready to dive on into <laughs> it because it's hard to keep going on about it yep. generally without talking about the songs in particular. And uh, I'm just yeah. dying to get to them because I have so much to say. And I'm sure you do too. Yeah, we're over here pulling punches, so let's do it. <laughs> All right. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So Midnight's begins with a song called Lavender Haze, the opening line of which is Meet Me at Midnight. Fantastic album opening line for an album called Midnight's, of course. And uh, this song is specifically inspired by the scrutiny Taylor Swift faces with her current boyfriend, Joe Alwyn, who she's now been with for six years. And uh, Taylor Swift has been labeled in the press as a serial dater. She was very much in her younger years, and uh, that was a very, frankly, sexist trope that a lot of us bought into, myself included. I was a teenager, but it was something that I bought into. It's like, oh, Taylor Swift, she's going to write a song about you if you piss her off or whatever. But of course, she's more complicated than that. And people want to know the dirt on this guy or this relationship, but it's very private intentionally because of the past, I'm sure. I always thought it was such a crazy thing for people to harp on that because one, she's a woman. She, I'm sorry, she's a female uh, singer-songwriter and she's good at it. So at that age, what do you want her to pull from? What pool do you want her to pull from? She's pulling from her actual emotions. And yeah, that's dating throughout her high school years, throughout her, her teenage years. I always thought that was a crazy trope for people to be like, oh man, here comes Taylor is singing a, another breakup song. What are you talking about? She's, she's a teenage girl and, and she's killing it. I, I, I always thought that was silly. I mean, yeah. And admittedly, I think part of me buying into that was just, it wasn't written for me. It wasn't something I related to. But Heard. then again, was I the audience for it? No, not at all. Heard. But now I can relate more to it. But that's as she's evolved and her listeners have evolved. And there have been some that have left and some that have been gained. And uh, that's kind of where we are today with her, I guess you could say. She's been all over the place at this point. But this one's really interesting because on that micro level, it really is about herself, but it also on this macro level is really touching on the role of women in society and how they're still pegging her because she's talking about like the 1950s shit they want from me, as she says. And uh, I mean, it's a shame, but there are people who expect women to just sit around and be second to men and uh, do the dishes and cook dinner and that's their role but she's not that person she's not going to do that she's uh, really diving into her empowerment here and that's something she's done more recently after being silenced from doing it for so long at her previous record label so I think it's great that she does it now. And uh, the title Taylor Swift said refers to an all-encompassing love glow, as in she's insulating herself from the negativity in this lavender haze, which is a very nice spot. Um, what did you think of this song? As an opener, I love it. A great hook-type little falsetto. Ah, and, and at the start, it's just such a great opening to an album we as listeners 
And and I'm gonna I'm gonna be metaphorical as we go through this concept album because I really dig it. And if I go too far, well, you're just gonna have to listen. <laughs> but that, we as listeners are phased in with this phaser sound into this thought right off the bat as the opening of our album, and we get a glimpse into this this relationship happening under scrutiny, but inside of this lavender haze. And I think it's such a beautiful reference and a beautiful way to put it. And we start off with this constant syncopated rhythm that starts to come behind. And in my listening ear, it sounds a little bit to the anxiety of these midnight thought sessions, so to speak, that, that we're able to witness here with her. So I think this is such a neat start off point because we phase into this sound and now we're encapsulated not only in this lavender haze with her, but we're going through this thought as it progresses through. I really enjoy this song. Yeah, I'm totally with you on all of that. And uh, this is my favorite thing about Taylor Swift. This is a great singer-songwriter song with its use of metaphors and imagery and all of that, but it's also a great pop song. It's got yeah. hooks on top of hooks, and I think that's her best uh, gift. It's what puts her above other pop stars is that she can also create poetry in pop music, and this is an example of that. And this is a song that has a lot more writers than most Taylor Swift songs. There are six writers on it, the most notable being actress Zoe Kravitz, who I thought was awesome as Catwoman in The Batman. <laughs> so uh, another reason to like her, in my opinion. Yeah, it was, it was unique to see her on this album. She she got on two tracks on this album, right? No, I think it's just this one. Oh, just this one? Still, I, it, thanks, but... Cool to just picture in the studio with them, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. But, well, I guess she's got some musical blood. Her dad's Lenny Kravitz, so <laughs> she's got to have some music in her. And uh, what a beautiful... Um, opener and just a great song overall and this is the second single officially and uh, the video was teased but it's not out yet and i'm waiting for it because i'm very curious to see what she'll do with that so yay for lavender haze it's one i want to stay in <laughs> but we're moving on to another color for track number two maroon and um this is about a lost love, and there's an immediate comparison to previous work here because uh, her fourth album is titled Red, and there's a song on it called Red, and she really talks about how colors and love kind of represent each other, like how a color can be used to describe uh, these emotions, and uh, this is obviously a darker shade of red, so it shows an evolved perspective, which I think is pretty unique, especially considering her previous re-recording was Red, and that's a beautiful album as well. But there's a lot of callbacks to previous songs here, especially with the references to New York. That's a motif in her songs, especially in more recent years. Some people have actually referred to this as a sequel to the song Cornelia Street from the album Lover, and uh, that was a highlight of that album that I really enjoyed. Uh, this one might be better, though, because it just gets better for every listen with me. I just love what she does here. She really gives us a vivid song. That's the best word I can use to describe this song is vivid. And that's just where she takes you. And this is probably the best example of the dream pop 
I think a lot of people were expecting from this. It's best encapsulated here, in my opinion. And I do think that it's a beautiful song. It is. Vivid is such a great term because for me, the imagery throughout this song is something that is so strong. It shows her genius as a singer-songwriter. It shows her genius as a composer a composer of this style period and this for me is like the real culmination of this really percussive rhythm that is paired with her vocals that just gives us this constant sound this constant eighth note run throughout this uh, that i equate again to this anxiety of these thoughts and we see this in the crescendo that that culminates into this flowy refrain so in the verse we crescendo out and then we take a breath. But then inside that same refrain, we go back to the syncopated note and we fall back into the longer verse thoughts. I love that about this song. The contrast is so sick and there's a siren sound towards the end um, that just drones on in the background. It's constantly there and it leads us out of the song. This is just such a beautiful composition, such a well put together piece of this realized concept. I can't say enough about this concept. <laughs> yeah, it's a wonderful concept. And uh, yeah, just what a fantastic, beautiful song. And I really would love to see a video for it because it's such a vivid song. I was going to say this later on, but I'll say it now because I'd like to touch on it throughout. I think this whole entire album could be encapsulated in something like a Michael Jackson's Moonwalker or something like just just some because she did a short film inside of this somewhere but like a, a film that encapsulates these thoughts I think would be I need it Taylor I need it <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure she goes she's writing and directing more and more stuff so okay. but uh to be determined but speaking of writing and directing she did that for the video for our next song, track number three, which is our lead single, Antihero. This wasn't supposed to be the lead single, Lavender Haze was, but Taylor talking about it on TikTok got people so excited to hear it that I don't think there was much of a choice. And I'm going to just read her whole quote because I think that she describes it so well here. So Taylor said about this quote, I don't think I've delved this far into my insecurities in this detail before. I struggle a lot with the idea that my life has become unmanageably sized. And not to sound too dark, I struggle with the idea of not feeling like a person. This song really is a real guided tour throughout all of the things I tend to hate about myself. We all hate things about ourselves. It's all of those aspects of the things we dislike and like about ourselves that we have to come to terms with if we're going to be this person. So yeah, I like Antihero a lot because I think it's really honest. And she called it one of her favorite songs she's ever written. Wow. And that immediately made people very interested in hearing this song. I know the interest was definitely peaked for her to single this one out in particular as one of her favorite songs she's ever written. And again, to dive into that insecurity is something, it's something she's done before in songs, but she's saying this is in a way that she's never done it before. And uh, I mean, what was she going to do? I just think everybody was kind of dying to know what's this going to be. But I have to say it's pretty upbeat considering that subject matter. 
it's got a real 80s vibe to it, but I love it. And uh, it's a really quirky song in a lot of ways, but it all just fits together so well, I think. And uh, I just think this is one of those songs where anybody who's ever felt like they are their own toughest critic can really relate to it. And I know I can in that way because that's something that I've struggled with at times. And uh, just a lot of great lines in this song. Like, when my depression works the graveyard shift. I love that. And uh, oh my goodness, just so much. And it also has a perfect line for this podcast. At tea time, everybody agrees. (laughs) So... It's it's real. You you talk about a relatable thought. A lot of these are relatable thoughts, but this one I feel like to any anybody out there that's making something, you know, making art, making conversation, just living. You know, sometimes you're gonna feel this, and I really find myself inside of this song as far as being able to relate. Uh, like you did. I'm so glad you said the 80s vibe, because for me, I get a huge Madonna vibe in the refrain, especially when she sings rooting for the anti-hero. It almost sounds like Madonna to me. And I love that. Um, this is a real, even with the hip hop beat here, I'll go back to the metaphorical concept music. Uh, but even with the hip hop beat here, we still feel these constant rhythms in the back. And I, I love that. Um, it's a real struggle from within on this one and where we've got to look at outside struggles so far in the in the album um, where she's dealing with other people she's really dealing with herself here and I feel that it's placed perfectly on the album my notes on this is concept in caps is realized and is super exciting me at this point at first listen on this one I was doing backflips for for the concept at this point so I can tell why it's one of her favorites. It's not only perfectly placed, but I'm championing you today, uh, Miss Swift. You, <laughs> this, this is a really, really great song. Yeah, and it's a song that's had some staying power because uh, right now it has fallen from the top spot because of Christmas, but it was number one for six weeks. So not just the debut falls off immediately, which has happened with many people, including her before. This one has the same power. People are loving it. There was a a lot of commentary regarding one line in particular. Um, This is the one line that a lot of people said it was so bad. What's it doing from her? This is where people were saying, like, this is such a step down from the previous two albums. And it's uh, the first line of the second verse. Sometimes I feel like everybody is a sexy baby and I'm a monster on the hill. Why is is everybody up in arms on that? They just think it's stupid, but I'm like, no, it's perfectly quirky and fits with the song. And it's also likely a reference to 30 Rock, which is awesome. So shut up. You don't know what you're talking about. She's a writer. She is a an illustrator with her words she's definitely using these pop references silly on anyone who says they listen to her to not be able to to see that right away yeah man she does she lives under the fucking microscope yeah and then um so i don't know if you saw the video for this song no but that was the subject of some controversy too so it portrays her as a 70s housewife kind of fighting with herself 
Heard. And a lot of the song is pretty played out. Like we see her future kids at her funeral, which I love that bridge so much because I've had the dream before where I've died Heard. and was at my own funeral. I'm sure other people have too. I was like, that's just so real. But the controversial part is that at one point, Taylor, one of the Taylors steps on a scale and it says fat and the other one's scolding her. And a lot of people said that was fat phobic, but it was actually a reference to Taylor's eating disorder struggles. How do they not know that? It's just, the people are just so ignorant to say something like that. It's clearly commentary on her own self. Oh, that shit pissed me off, Charlie. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a real thing. Like, yes, Taylor Swift is not fat, but a lot of people out there struggle with eating disorders and see themselves as fat, even though they're not. Uh, am I am I wrong in saying that she's come forward and said that she struggled with an eating disorder? Yes, sort she of, has. Sort of, yeah, I mean, this is commentary on her life. I go back to, uh, I'm not to beat a dead horse here, <laughs> but I go back to what I said before. This is like yelling at a at 17-year-old. I'm not sure how old she was when she debuted, but yelling at a teenager for writing breakup songs. Yeah. Like she's a one-trick pony. What are you talking about? She's got, she's she's writing about her life. Yeah, and uh, mm. that's what she's doing here, and she's doing it fantastically. So, Fantastic. yeah, Antihero, what a beautiful song. Um, Just, yeah, fantastic. Definitely worthy of all the hype. I think this absolutely deserved to be number one for over a month. For sure. Love it. Yep. And the only question is, how do we go from there? Well, we go from there with a collaboration with another one of Jack Antonoff's frequent um, collaborators, Lana Del Rey, with Snow on the Beach. Uh, yeah, it was pretty quickly speculated that there would be a collaboration with Lana Del Rey. A lot of, it was told there was a mystery artist, and a lot of people very quickly picked Lana Del Rey because there were photos of them together recently. And it made sense since they both have worked with Jack Antonoff. Uh, Lana did two whole albums with him, including 2019's fantastic Norman fucking Rockwell. That's a wonderful album that we may discuss on this show someday, mm -hmm. but getting ahead of myself. Uh, but these are two very good songwriters who were going for a similar vibe by working with Antonoff in some ways. And uh, it's a pretty neat song, Snow on the Beach, and it's about two people falling in love with each other at the same time and how weird but fucking beautiful that is to quote the song. Um, this one was automatically pretty hyped up because of the fact that it was a collaboration with Lana Del Rey. A lot of people were excited to hear it, and uh, there was quite a bit of notice of how Lana's hardly featured on it, and she doesn't have a verse. You can definitely hear her in the background, but there's no doubt in my mind that this is a song that both of them worked on together. The most telling part for me is the line, now I'm all for you like Janet. That's such a Lana Del Rey line, because she'll name drop musicians in wherever. She does that. That's kind of her thing that's a motif in her music that's not Taylor Swift thing and that tells me this is a true collaboration regardless of how much you hear Lana's vocals on the song but they are there and uh, 
Yeah, I really like the song. It's gotten some flack because of the lack of Lana, but I don't mind that. I think it's a great song and I do think it's a true just collaboration. I've said that word so many times, but that's really what this is. And I think it's a beautiful one. And it actually became the most streamed duet between two female artists ever. It broke that record with this. So within uh, 24 hours. So hats off to Taylor and Lana. I think the song is deserving of it. And it's now Lana Del Rey's highest charting single ever. So yeah, hats off to Snow on the Beach. I think this song is uh, weird, but fucking beautiful. Weird, but fucking beautiful is is a great way to put it. We are in a, a dreamscape at this point, And we have left the anxiety, that syncopated rhythm and we start here with just these pizzicato strings and chimes that for me really sounded like snow falling. And we get a little jingle bells in the end to emphasize the snow, but it was really such a neat, beautiful start. And now we're talking about love at the same time, like you said, and we are in a totally different vibe on this album. And it's the, it's the most relaxed vibe for me so far and it's inside of love. So it's such a, a neat thing to think that this thought clears the anxiety away, clears this syncopated rhythm that we've ran through the first three tracks. And now we're just relaxing uh, with snow on the beach inside of this love. I, I love it. it. It's perfectly handled. And I'll use the word again, but it adds so much to this dreamscape that we're experiencing right now. Such a, a beautiful tune. I have to say a tiny bit surprised but it's just an afterthought because I knew Lana Del Rey was on this track and I heard it. And the first time I heard it, I was so enthralled by the track and I was inside super excited about this concept that when the track ended, I was like, hold on, I got to listen to that again because was Lana Del Rey singing and I didn't realize it. <laughs> you know, it was such a true collaboration, a, a combining of both those artists. It's a perfect way to put it. Again, really well done. I, I I laugh and chuckle as we go through this because I did not think I was going to be head over heels for this album, and I am so far. Oh, I I hear you totally. I expected to be, but these uh, first four songs are truly a stellar run. I mean, what a stellar run Most of that. tunes here. Yeah, it hasn't stopped, and it's been no wasted space. Uh, you know, and we could, uh, I can always go back to like how much I love her writing this and that, but that's, that's an afterthought because of the beauty of this concept and the way it's being handled for me musically, uh, including her vocals, but the narration almost to the side, if you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> I'm taken yeah. aback by this album, straight up. Oh, no. And I mean, she gave us already, these are, in my mind, Taylor Swift classics up there with the songs that we've known for five or 10 or even 15 years, they are on that level already, these first four songs, in my opinion. And the fact that she's doing this on her 10th album is very impressive. It shows she is not out of ideas and she is still capable of producing great beauty. True. But the question is, can it continue? Well, we're gonna find out with track five. You're on your own, kid. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So I'm going to preface this with saying, I don't think you know this, but a big part of Swiftian lore is track five is the emotional centerpiece of a Taylor Swift album. It is said to be. And uh, she's given us a wide variety and there have been some pretty grand narratives within some of these songs. The most famous of these is All Too Well from Red, which is about Jake Gyllenhaal and the fallout of their relationship. But there are other examples of it. So uh, what was she going to do here? This was automatically one I was uh, looking forward to hearing because of it being track five. It's like, what's this going to be? And it was a different title. For her, I was like, what What would a song called You're On Your Own Kids sound like? And uh, turns out, pretty minimal. It's a reflection on the past and her early years. And uh, of course, there's a great Gatsby reference, So Long Daisy May. That's something that comes up fairly often in Taylor Swift songs for some reason. And uh, I love that she's really looking back and saying that, you know, I really was... Uh, She's been open about having been bullied as a teenager because they thought she just was different. And it's kind of odd to think about now because she's the biggest artist in the world. Like, you would automatically think Taylor Swift was homecoming queen. She kind of gives off that vibe, but she really wasn't at all. And uh, she's saying that, like, I wasn't one of them, but I wrote these songs and kept going. And she was there saying you're on your own kid from the beginning there was actually a parallel noted between this song and a song from the debut called a place in this world where she was talking about trying to find her place but mentioned that she was on her own and here she says you're on your own kid you always have been so i really like the concept of this song i think it's a nice song i don't think it's a track five is my main issue with it i expect something even if it is minimal, I expect a bit more of a narrative and more levels to it. And uh, this one doesn't quite have that for me. It has grown on me. I will say that. It's definitely grown on me, especially with this week and listening to it again. So, yeah, this one's a bit of a slow burn, but I don't think it's quite a track five. Just not in the grand Taylor Swift tradition, maybe for this album, that's what it should be. But based on previously established standards, uh, not for me as a track five, not that it's a bad song, but yeah, I don't know. <laughs> so what you're saying is usually in the track five spot, she has the tell all be all or the, the central point of her album. The fans have said that heard or even if it isn't the central point, it's very confessional usually. And this definitely is confessional, but kind of in a deeper way. And honestly, I think with this album, it was a bit different because I was pretty surprised that I saw Antihero was track number three. And that was the song where she was talking about, I've never delved into my insecurities like this before. And that almost sounded like a track five kind of thing to me, like okay. to go into that. It feels like in a lot of ways... She was saying Antihero is really the song. That's the centerpiece by her description of it. 
and that's doing away with the template. And maybe that's a good thing that she's doing away with it. But yeah, it's just, I guess we have a different expectation in our heads, at least those who've been listening for a while. Gotcha. And I don't know if you know all of the track fives. I don't, I don't, I find that fascinating. You know me, I like a track seven and that's my mentality behind a track seven is I'm looking for something to knock off there. For me, that's almost always just right at the midpoint. And I love the importance of having that as a, as a musician, as a band, when you're recording albums to, to we've talked about it a million times over. Uh, I yeah. didn't know, I don't know all the track fives and I didn't realize that was the case. Here, I can see that. Um, I, there is, even with all the lost love stuff, her looking back in, in this, for me, it's looking back almost in a victorious way. Um, and I feel a, a sense of realization and almost relaxation in the fact of her being on her own. She's, in my opinion, at the same point, patting herself on the back in a, it's going to be okay, kid kind of way. But then at the same time being like, so, all right, you've always been on your own. Let's do this. And it crescendos to the end of this song. Like this song makes me feel like she's, she's leaving the town on her own, uh, ready to go. And I like that. Uh, you, we, we're, we're back at the driving syncopation though. So there's an anxiety inside of this for her, in my opinion, inside of this, this concept, right back at the driving syncopation of a not as nice thought of the late night anxiety uh, that we didn't see in Stone on the Beach. So we're back here. Um, but like I said, I feel a little bit of victoriousness towards the end of this. I, I like this track. As far as the concept goes, I can see where you're going with the track five from, from previous listenings and knowing her. As far as the concept goes, this one didn't take me out. I enjoyed this. This was a nice contrast coming out of love again because it wasn't too hard. It wasn't anti-hero. Uh, really inside of herself it was more so of that victorious crescendo for me and then it's a sudden stop at the end of the song too so it's that crescendo and that siren sound then boop done uh, I enjoyed that all right well there's that track five for you it worked for Corey so that's saying <laughs> something well, yeah I mean it's not no it does work for me and like I said it has grown on me I mean who knows in a month from now I might be saying it's a top highlight of the album for me. Right now, I'm not there, but I could be saying that eventually. Who knows? I mean, in fact, talking, speaking of songs that have grown on me, one of them is actually the next song, track number six, Midnight Rain. Of course, a clear call out to the album's title. And this is another song that really has her looking back at the past. It's widely believed she's looking at probably one of her first boyfriends from before she was famous. And like, cause she's saying he wanted a bride. I wanted the fame Ooh. because she's ambitious and doesn't hide that. She always has been upfront about her ambition. You know, she was busy making her own name. Yeah. Ooh, I love that line. He I wanted a bride. I'm making my name. I mean, you think about what happens to most of in a traditional sense, that name is gone. You know, so she's building that name and he's looking to give her his such a powerful, such a powerful line. Yes. And uh, there's a lot of great lines in this song. I especially love one by the end. And he never thinks of me except when I'm on TV. That's probably my favorite in the song, possibly. I love that line. Um, 
At first, though, I have to say, I thought that the vocal effects that start the song off were a bit off-putting. I was like, okay, what's the point of this? Like, she sometimes will do that in her songs, but it was, like, cool, but also kind of weird. And at first, it also felt a little unfinished to me. And I don't think that as much now, because this song has grown on me a lot, and I do think it's a much more fully realized thought now, which I appreciate it, but I do still think in a way it ends a little abruptly for me. That's my biggest issue with the song. It just ends like it is an interlude rather than a full song, and it is the shortest song on the album, but still, I do wish there was a bit more of a, I don't know, fade out or coda or something, but other than that, I'm a fan of Midnight Rain. It's taken some time to get into me, but, you know, it's one of those songs where even if I hadn't been going out of my way to listen to it, it got stuck in my head. It's like, okay, she's doing something right if it keeps getting stuck in my head. I gotta go back and listen. Yeah. It's it's definitely one that you hit the nail right on the head for me. The first time I heard her do that low or that lower, that dropped uh, vocal, with the effect, it was like, oh, that's sort of weird. Um, it took about three or four different listens for me to really unpack this whole one um, and enjoy it the way I do now. Um, but that was a lot of it. With the early on was was that that lower register. Um, but we're, we're back into another love thought here, and again, that driving beat stops. But this time, it doesn't stop for like this snow on the beach type of love thing it stops from this like spooky haunting love all right so the 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 love is actually haunting her and then in the background track we have a reverse of whatever they recorded for this track so the track's playing in reverse or a reverse uh style effect on it that's super spooky and haunting in its own right and i love that as far as the composition i think that's that's fucking genius um the way that she, no pun intended, tailored her lyrics to this song, for me is, is I'm going to say it right now, my favorite on the album. I really love the way she went through this lyrically. The, the, just the rhythm of her in this song against what it is, it spoke to me. I... In my notes, I have, I love this song, but <laughs> that's really what I could say. It was a cool one for me. I enjoyed this one. Yeah, it's a good one. And I think we both agree. It takes some time to sink in, but once it does, yeah. it does. And just so apt for her to say, like, I never think of him except on midnights like this. And that's yeah. just so accurate because you always think of the past at the most random times. And it's not part of your life now. It's not what you think of it day today but in those sleepless nights you can think of that stuff totally that's so real and, and, and yeah and, and it speaks the concept i even love the line where she says uh he doesn't think of me except when i'm on tv and immediately oh, yeah. i thought and i was like you're always on tv <laughs> like, what do you do you know so he's always thinking about you it, it's such a, a weird wild yeah. take but i love that well she knows he's always thinking about her she's <laughs> taylor swift <laughs> <laughs> but we don't know who this ex-boyfriend is, but a lot of people think they know who the ex in question is for our track number seven. Um, 
which is question, ellipses, question mark. This was one of the first titles revealed for the album. And more than anything, I was confused by the title, probably intentional if it's a question. But I was like, what would a song like this sound like? What would this, what? Um, okay. And uh, the concept is that it's about unclear memories. And uh, well, yeah, definitely is unclear memories because there's definitely, it's very stream of consciousness, this song. Um, more so in a way than maybe I'm a bit comfortable with, honestly. Because um, I'm not going to lie, this one does get stuck in my head out of nowhere, so it's doing something right, but I feel like it's a lot being thrown at you all at once. And maybe a bit too... Uh, meandering for me just a tad but it's it's an interesting song I will say that and uh before I get into all the fan theories I want to hear your take on the song because there's a lot of discussion about this one so I love the the fact that you use the word meandering because the meandering instantly tells us that over and over and over again we hear the same thing um and and the same plight but for me in this song, I love the way this song progresses and evolves because we start off. And before I even go into that, as far as a midnight thought, as far as a late night thought, this one, I'm all over. This is something I do all the time. I will look back at, I, I'm not even talking about like a, a hurried love affair or a hurried love moment here that we see, but regardless, I'll look back at things and I will dissect them. And then I'll start to feel a, a piece of a piece with it. And then I'll go back in and I'll dissect it more and, and I'll keep replaying and replaying and replaying. And that's what this song does. It asks the same question over and over again, but as the music in the song does, each time that we revisit this moment and play it back over again, the first time we get a little bit more percussion. Then we get like a hip hop, feel uh, the second time we ask it then again the hip-hop turns the rhythm to an offbeat and we're almost back to that super close driving syncopation by the end the thought played over and over again and i i can i can really again i say it relate to this um but i think it's so genius that this song keeps stacking itself on top of itself until we get to the end the same way this thought goes as far as a midnight thought in my opinion I, it is genius to compose the song this way. And I really enjoyed this song because of that. It, it it rang so much truer than just listening and being like, did she say she kissed a girl? And then she left her house early, <laughs> you know? Cause at first you're, you're listening, you're like, wait a minute, what? You were who? And then somebody, and then people were clapping, but you can see that she, she not only, I love the fact that you let me know that it was something that she didn't remember. But for me, it was something that she, was just having a hard time with it was it was an unfinished act or an unfinished thought period uh inside of her life and she was dissecting it i love i love the way the song is composed see now see this is why i'm glad we have this because now i can go back and listen to it and you really do make a good point and listening to you say it i feel like i can relate to it a bit more now so that's there, good there we go um, but okay so about the you think she kissed the girl um I thought that's what she said. <laughs> well, a lot of people thought she said that. So 
there's actually a whole subset of Taylor Swift fans who call themselves Gaylor fans. They really believe that their idol is closeted and a lesbian. Okay. Which, honestly, I think it's kind of weird to speculate about someone's sexuality like that because that's very private and... I agree. I don't really agree with that. And that just gets too much in the conspiracy for me. Heard. And that's not a road you want to go down. Believe me, it's very harmful. But at least it's just about the celebrity still. So, but specifically, people have said this is a gay song. And uh, the person they think it might be about is one of her former friends, supermodel Carly Kloss. They were very close, especially during the 1989 era when Taylor kind of had a squad of female friends and Carly was one of them. Uh, they are not friends now. They did have a falling out. I think some of it might have been related to Kim K and Kanye, but we'll talk about them later on this because I don't like to give them too much of my time personally, but... And But there were a lot of people who thought maybe Taylor and Carly were secretly seeing each other. And so I think that's why people are speculating this. But at the same time, when she says, can I ask you a question? Have you ever kissed someone in a crowded room? There was a famous man that she dated quite a while ago that she did kiss in a crowded room at a New Year's Eve party. Uh, one Harry Styles, and so a lot of people think this song is about him, and also due to the fact that at the beginning, there is a sample of the song Out of the Woods, which was definitely about Harry Styles. There's uh, no getting around that. It fits in with the time frame and an incident that happened with them. Hmm. Um, I mean, honestly, it could be about, well, I feel like this is one of those songs where She's not going to reveal who it's about, because why would she? That takes away the mystery. But it could very well be about more than one person. Yeah. And one I, thing. It lends itself to that. I, maybe it's just me, but I figured everybody had these thoughts, you know? I, I, they're not so much even regrets for me. It's just more stuff that I'll go through and be like, huh, I wonder, you know? Yeah. And then you tend to, st I tend to stack it and stack it and stack it the way the song did. Yeah. And, no, I do think it's very real, but a lot of people didn't talk about finding this song relatable. They went to the celebrity fan, fan theory aspect of it all, which, uh, but I'm glad that you gave me your interpretation because that's the one I prefer. I'm more interested in that than whoever the hell the song's about, frankly, because uh, like... I feel like I'm on some like, leave her alone Britney shit right now. Why are people up her ass so much about this stuff? Like, I understand we, we, you know, we look into it and try to get a spot where the artist's head was, but I feel like, and just by us talking, I, I shouldn't, you know, generalize this, but I feel like a lot of these fans are just out for, for gossip. Uh, it's oh, so weird. Dude. They totally are. And <laughs> It takes away from it. And the whole Harry Styles thing, I mean, I know it's intriguing because he's very famous and good looking and all of that. Right. I mean, can't there aren't many bigger stars than Harry Styles. He's been everywhere this year. However, they really didn't date for that long. I don't think they even dated for a year. And uh, there's people who think she's written so many songs about him. And I'm thinking, but if they didn't date for that long, 
Like, it's not like something like, oh, Stevie Nicks has written so many songs about Lindsay Buckingham. Well, of course she did. They were together for like seven years. So yeah, that's a lot of material. She wasn't with Harry Styles for long enough, I think, to have recorded as many songs as people think she has about him. I think people want to tell themselves that they do and that they're still friendly. But Taylor's with another man now, folks. <laughs> like, I know we may want our celebrity couplings or whatever. I know he's not as big of a star as Harry Styles, but it's over. Move on. Get Move over on. it. I mean, weren't you listening in Lavender Haze? I mean, she's, she told us up there. I mean. Yeah. <laughs> and she tells us again later in the album. So <laughs> I really have a hard time believing that Taylor Swift uh, thinks about Harry Styles as much as some of you people seem to believe. Oh. Even though he is quite dreamy, I'm not going to lie. But <laughs> so one of my coworkers today said Harry Styles was not that attractive. I had to hold my tongue and be like, what? Yeah, it's hard to say. He's a good looking dude. Oh, I yeah. think he's, yes, very nice. No, I mean, at. it's hard to say he's not good looking. He's an attractive, he's a good looking guy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, quite dreamy in my opinion, but that's not a question in my book. <laughs> but, it takes one to know one, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> but no, no, no. Moving on. Um, we're now on to track number eight. Uh, the song title that had people most shook of all, Vigilante Shit. This was an early on announced song and people were like, whoa, Vigilante Shit. What is she going to do? And for a long time, Taylor Swift never used bad language in her songs. It didn't happen until 2017. And now we have her first ever song with a bad word in the title. And so people thought like this was automatically going to be a revenge song, which it is. It's about a revenge fantasy, um, clearly. And that's something many of us dream of. It doesn't mean we're going to do it. But it's nice to think about doing it. I think for some of us, I mean, I'll admit now, I've thought about that, but it's a fantasy. I'm not actually going to do all of that. And a lot of people seem pretty clear cut on their belief that this is a revenge fantasy against Scooter Braun, who bought her catalog and who she hated before that and really didn't want owning her catalog. And the reason for that is because of the ex-wife mentioned, and he is if he's not in the middle of a divorce, it recently ended, but an ugly divorce. He's no longer with his wife. And there's no doubt in my mind he's a slimy guy. He's Justin Bieber's manager. I think that tells you what you need to know about Scooter Braun because we've seen Justin go through some stuff. And uh, yeah, we all know the managers can cause a lot of damage. We saw that with our previous two episodes, actually, speaking of uh, Colonel Tom Parker and... Uh, uh, Joe Jackson. Joe Jackson. <laughs> yeah, but come on, Scooter Braun, definitely. We're going to find out years down the road how shady he was, I'm sure. Because, come on, you have to feel for Bieber a bit, but we're not talking about him. This song doesn't even sound like him. The artist this song got compared a lot to was Billie Eilish. I could see that. Which I could see. Um, now, you and I have had this discussion. I'm not a fan of her. You are. I love her. You love her. I don't at all. Not at all. So, yeah, this definitely has a very minimal hip-hop-ish beat to it. This is my least favorite song on the album. This is a very love it or hate it kind of song. 
and I didn't know what to expect, but my issue with it is that I think this song stays on one level the whole time, musically, vocally, lyrically. And in my mind, the best Taylor Swift songs have levels to them and they build and build and build. This one just doesn't have build for me. And uh, yeah, I don't dislike it now as much as I did when I first heard it. There's some cool lines in it. Cab eyes sharp enough to kill a man. That's a really cool opening line, but the production is really not my favorite at all. And this is the only song on the album that she entirely self-composed. Yeah, this is one. It's just not for me. I think that's really what it is. And I don't see my mind changing too much on that. I heard that. I, uh, this one, you, you talk about the hip hop feel, man. And, and almost that Billie Eilish sort of feel as far as like, if you go with a bad guy and that dark and super heavy bass that we're popping off right here. I mean, this is a dark song. <laughs> it's, this is another relatable midnight thought. Oh, it totally is. And I enjoyed this song because I felt like it started to steamroll where she at first was like, I don't get dressed. I don't get dressed for nobody. I'm on my vigilante shit, yada, yada. But then she starts talking about the ex-wife. And then she's like, she looks good in your in your bends. And then she's like, the FBI, bada bomb, and she's rolling. Um, don't get me wrong. It's not like a crazy crescendo, but I felt I felt like it was my uh, my vengeful, vengeful, my, my revenge thoughts or my vigilante thoughts uh they they definitely tend to steamroll you get you get that anger rolling and, and they're rolling so I, I respected it and i related to it inside of this for me my favorite part of this song or what yeah i'll say my favorite part of this song was at 147 she hits that acapella ladies always rise above and does this like spooky creepy like it sounds happy but you know she could probably kill you uh, at the same time, type of acapella, and I dig that. I really dig that. As far as inside of this concept where I'm super stuck, it it fits. You know, it's another it's another late night thought that I can really relate to, and I can feel. I she got she got me on this one. I was right with her on the vigilante show. Oh, oh I I only wonder now who was your vigilante shit for though. For a million people, for everybody. Oh, <laughs> I'm just kidding, man. I know you are, <laughs> but there's, you know, there we're human. There's time. Yeah, we you know, are. Where where you get the, or I, I'm just saying me. Where I get those thoughts, where you're sitting in bed like, man, vigilante shit. That's all I'll say about that. <laughs> yeah, we probably shouldn't get into that too much, or else uh, we'll be in big trouble with everybody. So. <laughs> So I think that's a good sign to move on to the next song, um, there you go. which is Bejeweled. And uh, this one, basically, the concept is uh, her man's not giving her attention. And so she's got to show that she don't need a man. She's an independent woman and she's going out tonight. She's Bejeweled and she can make the whole place shimmer. And if they ask her if she has a man, she says she doesn't remember. And... Uh, <laughs> She's just gonna be that girl, and uh, oh, I love it. This was an immediate favorite of mine, and I was really sad to hear people hating on this early on. This seemed to be one of the songs that people were saying, like, this isn't art, this isn't like folklore or evermore. I'm like, but that's not the point. The point is that she's going out, she's feeling confident, 
and uh, she's gonna show you. That's not what we were doing before. That's what the point of this is. And that's another thing. She's going into the nightlife if she's bejeweled and making the whole place shimmer. And uh, yeah, I honestly would say I think this is the most fun song on the album. And probably the most pop. It definitely has some disco elements to it. But no, Bejeweled's a good time. And I will say it is my favorite from the second half of the album outside of those first four tracks. I This is my favorite outside of those. Yeah, this you hit it right on the head. It's It's fun. It had me cracking up laughing i mean she is she's not even going out in my opinion we're still in this concept of midnight thoughts that's another one i can relate to you know just thinking about going out and lighting up the place it's something you can do because that's who you are you have that self-confidence and sometimes when you're not feeling wanted or, or you might not feel wanted inside whatever situation you can always sit back and uh and have these these fantasies uh, of of doing as such, walking in and telling security you don't remember. You know, I, I love that line. I love. Uh, there's so many lines in this that I just I geek at. She's she's totally killing and, and going through. Uh, it's super bright, and it's especially what I relate to in this thought because when you're when you're fantasizing about lighting up the room, everything's you know, glistening and everything's bright. And I, she really brings that uh, with a lot of these synthesized melodies throughout. I really, I really enjoy it. All righty. Yes. And uh, I'm guessing you haven't seen it, but the video for this song that she put out is actually a lot of fun. It's a Cinderella story with Taylor Swift as Cinderella and Laura Dern as her evil stepmother <laughs> and the Haim sisters as the stepsisters. And then she goes out and uh, performs with Dita Von Teese. And yeah, it's a fun video. It's a good time. I heard people even saying that it had a, a Giorgio Remoter uh, feel to it. It does a little does, bit. If I, any I, song here does, it's this one. I, I, I fuck with this song. So do I. So do I. And now we are on to track number 10, Labyrinth. This is an interesting concept, too. This is a song about falling in love again after getting your heart broken, which um, I guess is a scary thought. Uh, not one I can relate to, which is probably part of my issue here. I think this is a concept I can't fully relate to, but the song sounds very dreamlike because she sings it in the falsetto the whole time. And you've got a church organ. A lot of people are really digging this one. It's not one of my top favorites, but I think that's just a me thing. Not really connecting with the lyrics, but there is um, one lyric in particular that I love, especially. Um, you know how much I hate that everybody expects me to bounce back just like that, because same, Taylor, same. Totally relatable. Yeah, I've been in that position before and it's not fun and people expect this and that. And it's like, it's just, it's not that simple and don't pressure me and just stop it. Um, so yeah, I do think this is that kind of an odd place on the album in between the jewel and the next song. That's kind of, I think my main criticism of this, uh, yeah, that's really my main thing is it's the placement on the album is not the most appropriate, in my opinion, but that's just me. 
it is a very late point for for me where this starts off it, it's almost like a little bit of a palate cleanser um we have a song really about the heart here and instead of that syncopated driving uh rhythm that we've that i've been equating to the anxiety of these late thoughts the beat here for me is more of a heartbeat and i love that the beat is a heart and we're and we're talking about the the feelings and meditations inside of these night thoughts of the heart um but this song starts to stack as well and it gets really chaotic by the end of this song um a testament to the labyrinth of the heart and the labyrinth of this thought uh where for me the relatable part was the chaos in the end of that feeling of zero g you know where you're you're just that certain weight in between heartbreak and love uh and it's a, it's a very crazy thought a very crazy maze of feelings that labyrinth there so I, I feel like we feel that chaos towards the end of this and and i like it it is a little bit late for that softness especially after bejeweled I, i'm totally with you there it doesn't take me out of the concept but i thought it was going to be a super slow song all the way through and i wasn't i wasn't down for that at first yeah and i'm Basically, you summed it up, and it is definitely slow in comparison to Bejeweled and the next song, one of the most talked about on the album, Karma. So there are rumors that Taylor Swift was or had recorded an album in 2016 called Karma, and uh, that was the year that um, Kim K leaked the phone call between her and Kanye West that didn't paint Taylor in a positive light, but I thought that was all so silly because I thought, so we're saying Taylor's a snake because it looks like she agreed to what Kanye said, but isn't it illegal for Kim K to be leaking a phone call? That was what I was thinking, but apparently no one else was. I thought that was foolishness completely, but Taylor is here saying no, she's not out for revenge on whoever this may be about, whether it's Kim or Kanye or Scooter or Carly or whoever. Karma is her friend. Karma is her boyfriend. It's a cat. It's going to be there, and it's on her side. And uh, she just has to let it do its thing because she knows uh, that it will run in her favor. And it has been pointed out that very soon after this song was released with this album on October 21st, Kanye West has gotten himself into a lot of trouble since then, but that's probably just him having his head so far up his ass that he thinks he can say whatever he wants. <laughs> mm. I think that has more to do with that than the song, but it's not what I was expecting. Obviously, I think it was obviously you immediately think this will be like a revenge song. This isn't that at all. It's a, kind of an evolution from what she was doing a few years prior on the Reputation album and that lead single, Look What Made You, um, Look What You Made Me Do, where she says, all I think about is karma. But she's in a vengeful mode on that song. And uh, here she's not. She's singing it from an evolved place. And... Uh, I think that's smart, but at the same time, I'm not going to lie, this song's not as much fun as the revenge tunes on Reputation. 
No, not at all. It's it's fun. She really gets as close to rapping as I've ever seen her on this. She has a lot of rhyming inside of her scheme on this, and I love it. Uh, almost take everything away. It would be a neat uh, spoken word poem, the way it's set up. For me, this is her late night thought of affirmation, of making sure she tells herself that it was right you know, the stuff that we're thinking about in question per se, or vigilante shit. It was right not to act on that. And it, it was, we're, we're okay. Karma is our friend. Karma is our, like you said, our boyfriend. Karma is a God, she says at the end yeah. of the, you know, like she, she's putting it all in karma and it's her way of affirming that. Uh, I almost thought about it as like a nightly prayer where she is just saying, karma is me. I am karma. We're going to be good. And that's that's a really great practice uh, and a relatable practice where I could see putting all that, all the scrutiny that we've talked about throughout this album, all of the anxiety from that, all of the vigilante thoughts, uh, you're finding yourself in this karma. And I think it, it, it finds itself on this album, finds itself in a good spot on this album too. Yes, I do agree with that. Those definitely. Um... And what's interesting is this year when Taylor Swift won the songwriting award, I'm not remembering the name of it at this moment, but she said that she categorizes her songs into three categories, uh, fountain pen, quill pen, and glitter gel pen. <laughs> they sung kind of like the vibe of the song. And on it. Apple Music, who she has partnered with quite a bit, she put out playlists of these only with the music that she owns the rights to. and. Yeah, this song was labeled a glitter gel pen song, and I thought that's so interesting that you wouldn't think a song called Karma would be that, but it really is, because that's obviously that fun, lightweight, carefree kind of thing. The only other song on this album that fell into that category was Bejeweled, which makes perfect sense. Most of the songs here fell into the fountain pen category. I can see that. So... I love that she told us that. I I just love that your mind works that way and that you've led us into that. You wonderful woman, you. She, she's a phenomenal artist. Uh, you know, it, it was, uh, again, I go back to it was one of the reasons why I read the synopsis for this before I went at it because I didn't want to just have that Taylor in my mind. Yeah. Uh, phenomenal. Yeah. But the next one, I think, is a bit more of a throwback kind of thing, at least in its sound, definitely. Uh, Sweet Nothing. This song is co-written with William Bowery, who is her boyfriend, Joe Alwyn. This isn't the first song that they've written together. Um, it's actually the sixth song they've written together. And this is a love song. It's the love song of the album. And it gives us a look into her everyday domestic life, which is the usual mundane thing that people well, do strive for. You want that kind of love in your life. And uh, there's a very prominent electric piano in here. And this song got a lot of comparisons to songs of the 70s, which I can kind of hear, like, maybe some of the work of Paul Williams, who we talked about on our Daft Punk episode. I think there's some of that vibe here. Um I like the idea of it, but I gotta say, it's not quite as juicy as the other songs on the album. There's not as much to bite into here. It's good that she let us into this, but 
I also just think that she has better love songs than this one. That's just me, but I don't think it's bad at all. I just uh, think she's done better songs of this ilk before. And for me, in comparison, it just falls a bit short. Yeah, I it definitely, for being the love song, and I agree with you, this is the love song of the album. In fact, in my notes, I have this is the true happy thought of the whole entire album here. Um, we don't have the driving syncopations. Instead, we've switched up to, like you said, that almost 70s kind of sound. And I, I love that for this. Um, the Sweet Nothings affirmate, or no, I'm sorry, the Sweet Nothings Between Lovers, uh, you know, those tiny little things you don't even think about, is another great thought after the affirmations of karma for me inside of the concept of this album. Um, she's talking about when she's out, he's in the house doing this, and it's just that beautiful small stuff that people in love find solace and and happiness inside of and it's neat that she chose that i totally agree with you there's better love songs all the way around but for me inside of this concept i think it's a neat choice here to choose these sweet nothings as the inspiration for the actual love song and happy thought of the album all right <laughs> that's a good way to think about it and uh now we've come to our end of the standard edition with track 13 mastermind where she's talking about how she's a mastermind she's uh, poking fun at her calculating nature uh i gotta love that bridge i'm only cryptic and machiavellian because i care <laughs> oh my goodness awesome oh it's so good it is so good uh the bridge is the best part of the song for me. Heard. The rest of it is not on that level for me. I think there's some cool stuff here. It's a very cool concept, pretty cool production. It's got a bit of a movie theme feel to it. I feel like this could be a Bond theme, maybe, <laughs> musically. Um, but I don't know. For some reason, it underwhelms me a bit as a closer. I just That's just me. Uh, I don't know if it's just something else that I'm kind of waiting for, and I'm going to spoil it now. I think that the Free AM edition had a better closing track with Dear Reader. It might not be a better song, per se, but as a closer for an album, I think it works better than this song. Heard. In the vein of the concept and, and thinking that I never want to go to bed mad... I enjoy where we've come to from karma to sweet nothings to now. I can relate in a in a narcissistic way about reveling in yourself in a very grandiose movie style feel of the music that we get here. I'm so glad you said that. It has such a theatrical sense. It does fall a tiny bit flat as a closer musically, but as a thought inside of the concept, I dig it because... She's just laughing and riffing on herself and enjoying who she really is. Uh, and that is the mastermind, not only behind all these thoughts, but, you know, the mastermind behind herself and, and ultimately this album. There we have a, a mastermind at work here with Midnight. So yeah. um, I'm going to ask you, what is your grade for the album? 
easy a the easiest a i've given in this whole i won't say in this whole entire thing but it's such an easy a for me um it almost went a plus the concept is so so realized i i'll say that right now as far as concept albums go it's up there as such a realized form there's so many layers and i implore everybody if you enjoy what we are talking about here, take some of these ideas for a listen um, with this album, because there's so many layers to be dissected here from her lyrics to the the composition to the album in itself. It is really a feat of genius. Uh, and it, it's an easy A for me. Well done, Taylor Swift. I wasn't sure about this one. Um, and wow, it was really neat. I'm glad you think it's a A. I'm very happy to hear that. Uh, this is going to be my first album. Um, I have two grades for this album. Um, one is, especially after this talk, as the full concept, as a full put-together statement, this is an A for all the reasons that you stated. As a collection of Taylor Swift songs, I'm going to give it a B. Heard. That's just I think everybody expects something different from Taylor Swift. Everybody has their own favorite styles and songs from her. Some of these are a lot more up my alley than others. And like I said, some of them have had to grow on me a lot, and some of them probably will still continue to grow on me. And uh, so this is where I'm going to talk a bit about those bonus tracks. So with the album, Taylor after it was released, hours after it was released at 3 a.m. Eastern time, Taylor announced that she thought of Midnight's as a complete concept album, these 13 songs, a complete concept album. But she wanted to give her fans a look into the creative process and release uh, some more songs. And so she gave us seven bonus tracks with this 3 a.m. edition. She compared it to the from the vault songs that she's re- included on her re-recordings, which are cool to listen to. And uh, some of the songs on this edition maybe don't fit the concept of Midnight's as well, but they're such strong songs. Some of these bonus tracks that you have to think, why wasn't it on the main album? Because they're such strong songs. But I'm guessing it's because they didn't fit as well into the concept. But I think, I feel like a couple of them could have if they'd tried. And I think that's a part of my thing is it's like I heard some of these other songs and figured, you know, they could have really been put in here. And some of them were done with Aaron Dessner, who she worked extensively with on Folklore and Evermore. And they were all truly beautiful songs. And I think... Maybe with some rearranging, a couple of them should have, because actually, if we're talking about our favorite tracks here of this whole Midnight's thing, my favorite track is one of those bonus tracks. Which one? It's called Would Have, Could Have, Should Have. Heard. And it's a beautiful song. It's likely her reflecting about John Mayer from the present day and what it meant. And just uh, what a powerful song and... uh, It is quite scathing, actually, but in a way that vigilante shit is not for me. I guess that's supposed to be savage or whatever, but this one isn't. This is a woman looking back and realizing she was wrong, then it's much more effective, in my opinion. And it's a truly 
beautiful, breathtaking song, and it's already been cited as one of her high points, and I totally agree with that. But there's some other really beautiful songs there. There's um, Bigger Than the Whole Sky, which a lot of people think is about possibly a miscarriage, because it seems like she's lost something that was bigger than the whole sky more than just a short time. Wow. Very heavy song and not one I can listen to a lot because it's so heavy and makes me think of some things in my life. But what a beautiful song. And then The Great War too, which pretty epic song in my opinion. That in my mind's like a traditional Taylor track five more than you're on your own kid. As for how well it fits into the album, that's up for debate. But I think those three of the seven in particular are so strong that I wish they could have found a way onto this main album, even if it meant making it a bit longer. And there's one other bonus track, too, that is only on the Target edition, Hits Different, which doesn't sound anything like the rest of this album. But it's a fun, breezy little tune that I enjoy a lot. And I'm sure it'll be on streaming soon enough. But I think that's part of my ambivalence with it just as a collection of songs because I heard some of what else we did and thought it was better. Heard. That makes sense. So there's that, but that's why I give the album two grades. So I like it. But a uh, favorite song for you? For me, Midnight Rain. Okay. I enjoyed it so much, man. It, it, just the way it was composed with that spooky um, rewound clip throughout it's the way it was a good one that was my favorite midnight rain uh yeah i already said overall my number one is would have could have should have because what a brilliant song but of this 13 track midnight's album this is perhaps an obvious answer but anti-hero that's a good one because just beautiful relatable fun quirky song one of the best released this year that is for sure so I'm glad that you went on this midnight journey with me. Uh, me too. That was a good one. It was a good one. All right. Good to know. And now I need to know what is your 2022 album pick for our last episode of 2022? I mean, going into the new year, the New Year's Eve always invokes a bunch of different happy feelings for me. So I'm, I'm actually caught between two of my favorite feelings and one is old friends and one is new adventures so i'm going to give you a choice here old friends or new adventures oh boy <laughs> this is a uh, hmm hmm go with your gut there's no wrong answer here <laughs> it's not old friends old friends so we are going to do the 2022 the second album released by these gentlemen in 2022 these old friends even have a circle back to Sonny and Cher with their lead singer Anthony Kiedis and that is the return of the dream canteen by the Red Hot Chili Peppers I knew they were your old friends I knew it <laughs> I was like I know who the old friends are but I don't know what the new adventure is but I was more confident that <laughs> Do you want to know what new adventure I was? do want to know. The new adventure was going to be, I haven't listened to it at all, and that's Harry's house. Okay. And I was going to say, let's do Harry's house. But let's let's do Return of the Dream Canteen. Harry's house, I think we could, I think it's it's not as good as Midnight's, but heard, heard. I did I, listen to it. It is no, 
it's not as good as Midnight's, but there is some good stuff on there. And it, yes, Harry Styles is quite dashing, of course, but enough of me. <laughs> when you were Thank talking you. about him earlier, I was like, oh, if he picks, <laughs> if he picks new adventures, it's on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well... well- I think it's, no, I'm happy to be doing the Chili Peppers because I'm mostly familiar with just their hits, not deep into their discography. I think this will be the first full album I've ever heard from them. And this is a cool one too, because it's the second album. They recorded two albums in one big old run at Shangri-La and Rick Rubin produced both of them. So, And that's a good thing. Always a good thing. (laughs) That is a good thing. So I'm, no, I'm excited and I thought it might be more of a, shift from the tailor and i yeah all right so return of the dream canteen let's go let's do it let's do this all right but harry's house we might have to do at some point now i don't know we will we will i knew knew once i said it we were gonna have to do it sooner than later but we'll get it in there (laughs) okay (laughs) yeah i guess so but hopefully i just don't talk the whole episode about how handsome i think he is (laughs) i heard that so, and that, yeah, that's probably a good thing we're going with the chili peppers. So in that case, <laughs> but anyway, in the meantime, while you're waiting for that, please subscribe to this podcast, wherever you're listening to it. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at turntables and tea podcast and have a great holiday, whatever it is. I know we're both doing Christmas and I'm sure a lot of you are. So, uh, yeah, enjoy that holiday. Spend some great time with family. Enjoy some great food. And just, uh, we will see you probably the day after Christmas we'll be recording, possibly. Or a couple days after, we will see. But we'll be here to get into the return of the Dream Canteen. Peace!